All right, who's ready for part three of questions Jesus asked? This is our new sermon series we launched two weeks ago. We are exploring the questions that Jesus asked as a rhetorical method. He would ask questions, the Socratic method. He would ask people questions, and he would evoke deep answers from them. And we've been exploring those questions for the last couple of weeks. Today, I'm going to take you to Mark chapter 4. This is a powerful story. It's going to be a familiar story. But I want us to press into this story from Mark chapter 4. It says this. It says, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. They're on the Sea of Galilee. He's going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. How many of you know sometimes you have to leave a crowd behind in order to get where Jesus is taking you? Sometimes you have to leave some friends behind in order to go where Christ is trying to lead you. The scripture says a furious storm, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Anybody ever been nearly swamped in your life? Financial waves crashing over the boat of your life. Relationship waves crashing over the boat of your life. Anybody ever struggled with various challenges and issues and it just feels like wave after wave after wave is coming in? And it feels like the, the, the boat of your life is about to sink. That's what's happening with the disciples. They're all trying to bail the water out of the boat. They're working hard to get the water out of the boat. And they want Jesus to help them. But verse 38 says, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Just my, like literally one of my favorite lines in the Bible. Jesus wasn't just napping. He was comfortable. He had his pillow. He was, he was prepared for this rest. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you even care that we are going to drown? They're angry. They're upset. Scripture says, verse 39, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, Peace, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And then this is the question that Jesus asked. Are you ready? Jesus asked his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? He asks. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Today, for the next few moments, I'm going to preach on the subject. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. Your spirit is here in us, with us, working through us. Your word is a firm foundation. We stand upon it. We open our hearts, our minds, our lives to you. We ask that we be transformed. We ask humbly, Lord God, that you would change us, strengthen us, empower us, forgive us, make us righteous in you, bring us all the way into your love. We honor you and praise you today, and I pray that this word would be a source of strength and encouragement to everyone who hears it. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Many years ago, I took my boys, just my boys, on a camping trip to Babbler State Park. Now, I know what many people are thinking. As soon as I say that, they say, why would you leave a perfectly good bed in a presumably perfectly good house to go sleep on the ground in a tent 
in the woods. I feel your judgment. I already understand the feeling, but we said we're going to go and adventure. So the boys and I go to Babbler State Park. We're having a great time. We're eating our hot dogs. We're sitting around the fire. We got the marshmallows going. We're just having a fun evening. And then it was time to go to bed. So we set up the tent, put our sleeping bags in the tent. We all crawled in the tent, getting ready to go to sleep. Now, I like to sleep like Jesus. I like my cushion. I like my special pillow that I have and my earplugs and my eye mask. I got my whole, I've got a whole routine. I'm very serious about this thing. But on this camping trip, I had forgotten my stuff, my sleeping gear. You know, it was the hubbub of, of the day. So I ended up trying to put my head on a backpack, sleeping on the ground. It was uncomfortable, somebody. Now, the little kids, for whatever reason, their bones are made of rubber. They can just sleep on the ground, and they fall straight to sleep. But I'm lying awake, and I don't have my earplugs, and I, I got to tell you, it's kind of loud in the woods at night. There's cicadas chirping up in the trees. There's tree frogs going off here and there. There's stuff rustling out in the leaves. It's a little bit intimidating to be in a tent with all that noise going on. So I said, all right, finally, I, I started to re- relax and rest, and 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 finally fell asleep. But at 2 o'clock in the morning, I heard a sound. And this sound, man, I just shot up awake. I was like, what was that? I didn't say it out loud. I thought it. I felt it. Something or someone was outside of our tent. Now, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I don't know about you, but my mind is not as alert as it could be. 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm starting to think thoughts that may or may not be based in reality. Is anybody with me? So I started thinking, what is that outside of our tent? It could be a pack of wild coyotes. It could be a ravenous wolf. It could be a grizzly bear that wants to come and eat my children and me. I don't know what it is, but finally my mind landed on option number four. For whatever reason, I came to the conclusion that there were people outside of our tent that wanted whatever was inside of our tent. I just started thinking, you know, there's people coming up out of the woods. They probably want our propane and our hot dogs, and they probably want our backpacks, and they probably... That's what I'm thinking. I could imagine them in my mind. I had a vivid picture of this group of people surrounding the tent. I won't give you the picture, but they look scary to me, like folks coming up out of the swamp. That was my mind. I said, man, I've got to protect my children in this moment. This is my duty and my obligation. Now, I would always take a Bowie knife with me when we would go camping. I, I don't know why. It just felt like it was the right thing to do. You just, you, you don't know if you're going to use it, but there it is. So I, I pulled my Bowie knife out of my sheath. I slipped my feet into my, into my camping boots, into my climbing boots. And I grabbed my iPhone because I need a flashlight. I got my energy worked up. I flicked on the flashlight. And man, I just jumped out of that tent flap. It was in that moment that I realized how foolish I must appear. Of course, there's no one outside of the tent. It's just a pastor standing in the woods in his drawers with a Bowie knife and an iPhone. I thought, man, whatever chipmunk was running through the leaves just now is having a good laugh on me. All of us, from time to time, will experience fear. In that case, the fear was unfounded. The very thing that I was most afraid of wasn't even real. The thing that I was afraid of was a figment of my imagination. All of us experience fear, anxiety, distress, unease, and worry in our lives at various times. Most of us experience fear in one of three or two or three of three categories. Most of our fears fall into three categories. I'm going to tell you what they are this morning. Fear of death, 
the fear of failure, and the fear of rejection. Most of your fears, most of your anxieties, most of your worries fall into one of those categories. If you are to put all your anxieties together, you're going to find that they fit in one of those categories. Let's start with the fear of death. Anybody ever gone on to WebMD and diagnosed yourself with a terminal illness in about 45 minutes? <laughs> if it's the person next to you, just blink five times. Just say, just give me, right? Uh, we, we've all done this. You have a little ailment. You've got a little blister. You've got a little pain in your side. You go on to WebMD and you go, my, I'm, I've, got terminal, I've got a terminal illness. I'm going to die right now. You start filling out your will and testament. Right. Why? Worry. That's anxiety. That's fear. It's the fear of injury. It's ultimately the fear of death. Every fear of injury is actually the fear of death. If you're afraid of heights, you're not actually afraid of the height. You're afraid of falling from the height. You're afraid of splatting on the ground. That's the fear. You're afraid of dying. If you're afraid of the dark, it's not because the dark in and of itself is scary. It's because something might happen to you in the dark. And so you're afraid of the dark because of what could happen to you in the dark. If you're afraid of spiders, it's not the spider itself. It's the venom of the spider that you're afraid of because that might injure you and kill you. So every injury, every fear of injury is actually the fear of death. The disciples were experiencing this particular kind of fear. They're in a boat that is sinking in the Sea of Galilee. They're afraid that this boat is going to go down to the bottom. They are afraid of death. The next major fear is the fear of failure. The fear of failure. This is the fear of humiliation, shame, or disapproval. This is the kind of fear that arises when you misunderstand the source of your value or worth. This is the fear that arises when you think that your worth as a human being is grounded in your success. This is, this is the fear that arises in us when we think that our, our value, our worth, our dignity is grounded in whether or not we prevail. That's where this fear arises. And so when we're going to fail or if we fail, we start to, we start to diminish our own sense of value because our our worth is contingent on our accomplishments, our advancements, and our achievements. This is, this is a fear we all struggle with. Um, the night before we planted One Family Church, I dreamed that the church was full. I dreamed that the music was wonderful. I dreamed that the production, uh, uh, the production team, the, the, all of the electronics and technology was wonderful. But in my dream, when it was my turn to preach, I came up to preach and I had forgotten to prepare anything to say. That was my dream. I dreamed that I got up on the platform as the founder of One Family Church and had nothing to say. It was a failure dream. It was an anxiety dream. It was a dream where my sense of value and worth was grounded in whether or not I was going to succeed or fail. We've all experienced this, this sense of the fear of failure. The third fear is the fear of rejection. This is really the fear of alienation or isolation. None of us want to be rejected. None of us want to be isolated. None of us want to be alienated. Uh, this kind of fear shows up in our relationships and in the way we interact with people. Uh, I don't know if this is going to relate. I know this might relate to some of you. But as a kid, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And um, there, was, there was a significant emphasis on the end times and the rapture. And I don't know if, if, if anybody ever had this. This might just be my thing. But when I was like in first grade, I came home off the bus one day. And I went up to my house and I went to open the door and the door was locked. So I knocked on the door. There was nobody there. So I looked in the window. There was nobody there. I went around to the back of the house. 
there was nobody there. Now, my mind did not go, oh, somebody's mom and dad are out on an errand. My mind said, oh, my Lord, the rapture took place, and I missed it. <laughs> I'm going to be here fighting the battle of Armageddon all by myself. I'm going to get the mark of the beast. It's going to be the blood up to the horse's bridle. I mean, that was, I was like terrified, but, but really my fear was rejection or abandonment. Y'all laugh like some of you have experienced something like that. I, I, was, I was afraid of being alone, that there would be nobody there. In relationships, we experience this fear. They call it the fear of abandonment. And here's how you can know if you're experiencing it or somebody that you love is experiencing it. There, there are symptoms. One symptom is that people with a fear of abandonment tend to attach quickly to unavailable partners. If you know somebody who keeps falling in love with somebody who's not available to them, there might be a fear of, of abandonment. Uh, people who fail to fully commit. Sometimes people will move on quickly from a relationship to ensure that they do the leaving rather than them getting left. Uh, people will aim to please. Uh, they will stay in a relationship no matter how unhealthy they are. They'll feel insecure and unworthy of love. People with a fear of abandonment find it hard to trust people. They're often jealous. They experience intense feelings of separation anxiety. They tend to overthink things and work hard to figure out hidden meanings. They are hypersensitive to criticism. They contain repressed anger and control issues, and they engage in self-blame. Anybody ever, you don't have to raise your hand. Anybody ever experienced any of that in your life? We've all experienced some version of that in our life. We've all experienced the fear of death, the fear of failure, and the fear of rejection. But we all know that fear, living in fear, is a limiting force in our life. When we live in fear, we cannot accomplish what God has for us to accomplish. Every time God calls us to do something, it's going to be something that is beyond our capacity to do. And then we have to decide, am I going to step into it with courage or am I going to shrink back in fear? That is the question that we ask ourselves. Fear prevents us from accomplishing the things that God wants us to accomplish. You will always regret any decision that you make based on fear. I've made a few in my life, and I regret every single one of them. And this is why the scripture over and over and over says some version of, do not be afraid. Fear not. Nearly a hundred times throughout the scripture, you will find God's command. It's the most often repeated command throughout the Bible. It's over and over and over. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I'll give you some examples. Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. Philippians 4.6. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Over and over, the scripture says, do not be afraid. In the passage we're exploring today, Jesus turns that around and says, why are you so afraid? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I was in that boat, if I was in that boat, and it was getting ready to go down, and the waves are coming in, and Jesus turns to me and goes, why are you so afraid? In my flesh, my response which probably I would keep to myself, would be, why do you think I'm so afraid, Jesus? Isn't it not glaringly obvious that the boat is going down, Jesus? 
I'm afraid because I don't want to die, Jesus. I've got a family. I've got children. I've got a job. I've got a life. And the boat's going down. And you're asking me why I'm afraid. I should be asking you, why are you asking me why I'm so afraid? I'll answer your question with a question. That's what I would think in, in my mind. But it's fascinating what Jesus does here because this is not what he does often when he's asking questions. In this case, he asks two questions, and the second question actually answers the first question. Let's go back to the verse, Mark 4.40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? That's question number one. Question number two, do you still have no faith? Here's what he's saying. He's saying there's an inverse relationship between two forces in your life, fear and faith. And when the, when the faith variable goes up, the fear variable goes down. And if your fear variable is high, that's an indication that your faith variable is low. There's an inverse relationship between these two forces in your life. And when I'm asking you why you're so afraid, what I'm telling you is that your faith is low. This is Jesus' powerful way of asking questions that draw out a truth deep inside of us. And we have to decide which force, which spirit, am I going to be bound by a spirit of faith or am I going to be bound by a spirit of fear? Which spirit will control my decisions in my life and my actions? My children are all athletic. They all like to compete. I've introduced them to every sport on the planet, baseball, basketball, football, wrestling, boxing, kickboxing, MMA. We haven't done golf yet. We'll get to that. But they've tried everything. The sport they love is rock climbing. That's the sport for my oldest kids especially. They love rock climbing. And I took my son Lincoln rock climbing a while back, and he wanted to go over to the boulder section because that's where all the professionals go. And I went over to what they call the auto belay section. The auto belay is, is a section where there's a machine at the top of the wall, and a rope comes down from the machine. You hook the machine onto, you hook the rope onto a harness that's around your waist, and then you climb up the wall, and the, the concept is that the auto belay will not let you fall. That's the concept. So I thought, okay, this is cool. So I climb up to the top of the wall, and the instructor is down, you know, it's a teenage instructor down at the bottom. And I got to the top, and at the top, I hadn't, hadn't thought about how to get back down. I just thought about how to get up. Now, I'm going to say the wall was as tall as the ceiling here at the Tivoli Theater. Now, that might be a slight exaggeration, but you'll flow with me, won't you? Amen, somebody? As my wife says, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. So anyway, it was pretty tall. It was pretty high. No, it was actually about 30 feet for real. And I'm at the top of the wall and the instructor down at the bottom says, oh yeah, um, you could just jump off. The auto belay will catch you. And I was like, could you send an engineer up here to double check the auto belay? Because I've not had an opportunity to check the efficacy of this auto belay. I'm like, but okay, just jump off. She's like, yeah, yeah, just jump off and the auto belay will catch you. Now here's the problem with the auto belay. It only works in contrast to your weight. So I could pull on the auto belay. I could pull on the rope 
and it won't demonstrate to me that it'll catch. If I pull on the rope, it looks like if I jumped, I'm just going to splat on the ground. And so the, the, the instructor's like, no, 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 it'll catch you. You just have to jump. And I'm like, well, I'm, I don't want to jump because I don't know if this is going to work. My fear is high because my faith is low. I'm standing up there. Now, there's a certain point at which your muscles will start to give way because you're holding on to the side of a wall. And you're going to have two options. You're going to either fall or you're going to jump. There's a little, I, I think it's, I don't, I don't like the way they call this, Lincoln, in the climbing circles, uh, but they call it the Elvis Presley. When you're holding on to the wall too long and your, your muscles start to shake. Like, <laughs> that's what happened. I'm shaking. And, and, the, and, the, and the teenager's like, all right, you just got to jump. All right. So finally, I just jumped, and to my great surprise, the audible aid just caught me and just brought me gently to the ground. Can I just tell you, y'all, you have an audible system attached to your life if you follow Jesus. The question is, are you going to put faith in it, or are you going to be afraid? If you'll just jump, Jesus will catch you. You don't have to be afraid of death. Jesus is there. You don't have to be afraid of abandonment. Jesus is there. You don't have to be afraid of rejection and failure. Jesus is there. You just have to have the faith to trust him. Otherwise, you're going to be doing the spiritual Elvis Presley. <laughs> the question is, are you going to have faith to trust God? More specifically, are you going to have faith in the areas, the specific areas of life where you're prone to fear. If you're taking notes, write this down. We overcome our fear of death when we embrace the source of life. We overcome our fear of death when we embrace the source of life. I don't have time to tell you the whole story of Lazarus. Many of you know the story of Lazarus. Dear friend of Jesus died. Well, actually, he was sick when Jesus found out that he was sick. His sisters sent word, please come and heal him. Come and heal our, our brother Lazarus. Come and heal the one you love. Scripture says he waited two more days. He didn't come to heal. So by the time he got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. He had the opportunity to heal Lazarus. He wouldn't take it. He didn't take it. Of course, his older sister is angry, as she should be. And she says, why didn't you come and heal my brother when you had the opportunity to do so? Jesus responds in, some, in a word that I want you to get this morning. Here's how he responded. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me, Martha, shall never die. Do you believe this? What is he saying? He's saying the thing that you're afraid of isn't real for you. He's saying you're afraid that there are monsters out in the woods trying to, trying to attack you. And it's not real. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in me, you don't die. The actual fear of dying that you have isn't real. You're afraid of something that isn't real for a follower of Jesus. Your body will die, but you will live with me for eternity. You have no death if you put your faith in me. But in order to activate that faith, in order to activate that reality, he asked that question. Do you believe this? That's the question. Do you believe him? Because if you believe Jesus, if you believe Jesus, there is no fear of death. <laughs> Man, it got so quiet. We're afraid of disease. We're afraid of sickness. We're afraid of injury. We're afraid of ill health. If we really believe in Jesus, we know that death is not a reality for the believer. Death is not a reality for the, the believer. He says we have eternal life in him. The antidote to the fear of death is faith in Jesus. 
That's why the scripture says we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We just don't grieve that way. Because there is a reality beyond this reality that we are attached to as followers of Jesus. And we will live forever eternally in him. Somebody needs to jump into his arms today. Somebody needs to cast their cares upon him. Because you've been on WebMD too long. And you're nervous about dying. And Jesus says, put your faith in me. I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe me? That's number one. Number two, we overcome our fear of failure when we acknowledge the source of our worth. We overcome our fear of failure when we acknowledge the source of our worth. I went to the bank, Bank of America, this week, and I got a crisp, clean $100 bill. How much is this $100 bill worth? $100, right? This is a crisp, clean, U.S. Treasury mint $100 bill. Let's say this bill is your life, right? And you make some mistakes and you start to get crushed under the weight of your own failures. You start to get crushed under the weight of your own sin. You start to get crushed under the weight of your own addictive behaviors that have harmed you over and over. And now your life is looking crushed and broken because of your sin and your failure. How much is this $100 bill worth? It's still worth $100. It doesn't matter how much it's been through. It doesn't matter how broken down it's been. You might even find yourself on the ground getting smashed by other people. You might find that there's sin coming at you from every direction. You're getting crushed. But how much is it worth? It's still worth $100. Why? Because the circumstances of this bill do not dictate its worth. The creator of this bill dictates its worth. The U.S. Mint says it's worth $100. It's still worth $100. You are made in the image of God. You were made for a purpose. You were made by God with love and dignity and value and respect. And he cares for you and your worth has nothing to do with how much you've messed up. It has nothing to do with how many times you've sinned. It has nothing to do with how many times you've been broken. Those of you who are afraid of failure, can I just tell you, your dignity, your value, and your worth is grounded in your creator, not in your activity. It's grounded in him. You are a beloved child of God. The last fear is the fear of rejection. This is the last point I want to make. We overcome our fear of rejection when we grasp the permanence of God's presence. We overcome our fear of rejection when we grasp the permanence, the permanence of God's presence. A little over 100 years ago, there were two types of warfare. There was land warfare and there was sea warfare. And the army that would prevail in a battle would be the army that had the most people, the best strategy, and the best weapons. But in 1917, the British introduced a new type of warfare. It's called close air cover. Close air cover is when the British came in with planes and the British planes would start to protect the troops that were on the ground. So you could be an inferior group. You could be outnumbered by the enemy. But if the close air support, if the planes came in, it didn't matter how, how much you were backed up against the wall. You had close air support that was going to drive the enemy away. Can I tell you, saints of God, you have close air support in your life right now. There is a powerful force at work right now in your life that will not leave you nor forsake you. When you're afraid of rejection, when you are afraid of abandonment, when you are afraid of isolation, I want to tell you today from the word of God that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In him, the scripture says, you live and move and have your being. He's a friend that sticks closer to you than a brother. 
It doesn't matter if the people on the ground have abandoned you. It doesn't matter if you've fallen into the trap of an enemy. It doesn't matter if you've been ambushed by the devil. It doesn't matter if you've gotten yourself in trouble. God is with you and will not leave you or forsake you. The Apostle Paul says in in Romans 8, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine? Shall nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. It says we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. You don't have to be afraid of death because Jesus is the light of life. You don't have to be afraid of failure because your worth and value is given to you by the God who created you. You don't have to be afraid of rejection because the God of all creation doesn't only stand by you. He lives in you. So my challenge is be strong and courageous. Do not be dismayed. Do not be discouraged. God will fight your battles if God be for you. Who can be against you? My prayer, my prayer for you and for me is that the next time Jesus comes to you with the question that he asked his disciples, when he comes to you and he says, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid of rejection? Why are you so afraid of failure? Why are you so afraid of injury and death? Why are you so afraid of health issues? Why are you so afraid of your financial troubles? Why are you so afraid of the waves that are crashing in to your life? Why are you so afraid? My prayer for you and for me is that our response would be, Jesus, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 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 Let's bow our heads. God, you're so good. You are so righteous. You're so true. You're so powerful. Your spirit is palpable in our hearts and in this place. I pray that each and every one of us today would open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth of who you are. There is no death in you. There is only eternal life. There is no rejection in you. You are with us forever. There is no failure in you. Our value is grounded in the fact that you made us in your image and your likeness. And so we come to you, God, with open hearts, open minds. We ask you to increase our faith so that the fear subsides. I ask, Lord God, that you would increase our faith in you so that the fears and anxieties, worries, and distresses of this world would just subside and fade away. We put our hope, we put our love, we put our faith in you, and we give you all honor and praise today. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen.